Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laser Focus, the deep dive pop culture podcast from Nerdist. I'm Kyle Anderson, and here we are at what is essentially the end of the year, looking back at some of our favorite things in 2023, despite a lot of things in 2023 being kind of crap. Um, TV shows have not been among the crap, or we've definitely found some things that we enjoy in our uh uh, TV watching to keep us sane <laughs> while the rest of the world burns around us. Anyway, sorry, that was dark. Um, weird. It was like a piece of salt stuck in my teeth. Anyway, um, <laughs> for the viewers at home. <laughs> um. So yes. Uh. This week we are going to talk about our uh, the best TV of 2023. If you would like to read more about it um we have a a piece on the website nerdist.com you may have heard of it um that kind of goes through uh in detail or actually less detail probably than we're going to talk about um some of those uh shows but here to talk to me about with me not just to me about some of these great shows uh are two guests we have two this week you may remember me teasing that last week um we have of course uh features editor ty gooden hello ty Hello, Kyle. And we have news editor, Ro Rusak. Hi, Ro. Hello. Uh, listeners to this podcast will no doubt remember that both of them have been on multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm excited. We're going to talk about some um, some TV shows um, and just kind of go around, talk about our favorite shows of the year. Uh, you know, maybe before we get into individual ones. Um in general, how did each of you like find uh, the TV landscape of the year? Was it as tiring as it seemed initially? <laughs> or did you actually have a good time? Let's start with Ro. Yeah, actually, for me, it's really interesting because I actually didn't really think there would be much like TV for me this year because I had such a banger year last year and the way TV is going this this era of TV is going. It's like a two-year wait for like your favorite show to come back. So I was like, oh, it's like an off year for me. Probably I'll watch things and I'll like them, but I won't like love anything, you know, like Springs of Power, which I'm waiting for to return or Stranger Things or something like that, which I really feel a strong connection to. But I was pleasantly surprised that some shows hooked me in some shows like Loki completely surprised me that mm. I actually found them to be super delightful. Some shows that I was like, I don't even know what this is, ended up being my favorites of the year. And then some things I didn't even see coming, like Surface. So mm. it was actually a very fruitful year of TV for me, uh, which, which I did not foresee going in. So excited to have nonetheless really enjoyed TV in 2023. Indeed. What about, what about you, Ty? Well, I had a few things that I was definitely looking forward to this year. Most of them were like spinoffs of existing properties mm. that I already enjoy. So you had Gen V spinning off from The Boys, and then you had shows like uh, The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, and um, The Walking Dead, Dead City spinning off from The Walking Dead, of course. The whole thing was about expectations, though, right? Like with The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, and and Dead City, I just I didn't really know what to expect there. I didn't think that there was a way that that universe could expand more for me and surprise me. Um, and it really did in both of those shows in two completely different ways. And it wasn't just about taking them and moving them to a different location. Um, the A lot of the side characters that we met and a lot of the 
uh, focus that we got on characters because it wasn't such a big ensemble cast. Like there were so many different um, choices that those shows made that really surprised me in a good way. And I found myself enjoying them at first. I was like, okay, well, I'm the walking dead person at Nerdist, right? So I'm going to watch these things <laughs> so we can have coverage about them. But I found myself actually looking forward to them and being really surprised by them. Um, with Gen V, not that my expectations were necessarily low, but I just wasn't sure if Gen V was going to be able to capture what I really loved about the boys um, as far as like the pacing, as far as the character development, um, as far as like storylines, of course, like those shocking moments that everybody wants to see. Uh, I wasn't sure if they would be able to kind of encapsulate all that and put it into a college setting, but they did it really well. Um, they did a lot of things with characters there that subverted my expectations in a, in a really good way. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised. Like for me, that Gen V probably ranks in my top three shows this year. So I was really delighted. Um, but then I also, you know, really enjoyed The Fall of the House of Usher and, mm. you know, a couple of other things that came out this year. I'm not a huge, like I'm a casual Star Wars person at best. <laughs> so I was like, ah, you know, again, I, I go along with it and I have enough understanding because it, it's a world that I have to obviously know things about or whatever. But I was you know, pleasantly surprised by a lot of things. So I didn't love everything, but yes. generally speaking, <laughs> I do want to talk. Speaking, a, yeah, TV was yeah. good this year. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, speaking of expectations, many things surprised me, or like were just generally um, as good or better than I thought they were going to be. Something that I was like legitimately disappointed by, and I don't know if. Uh, I, I'm alone on this. I, I sense maybe I'm not, but I thought that after the potential of its first season, Yellow Jacket season two really did not deliver for me. Um, no. and week after week, I was getting more and more annoyed with it to the point where I was just like, like the finale legitimately angered me. Um, I thought it was very stupid and didn't end up doing anything. Like it just kind of, everything went back to status quo the way it was after the first season. So I, both of you are nodding at me, which yes. for the listeners is, yes. um, yeah, go ahead. I was, yeah. I was actually looking at our list, looking back at our list and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. That aired this year. And it sure, I, like, I had to look it up too. I was like, was but, that it, this year? but it, sh it sure doesn't belong on this <laughs> list that yeah. we're making. I was like, wait, cause I remember when we put it on, when the first season aired, it was like, it was there. It was like, yeah. whoa. Like, we well, that love was like show. our show. Not our. I mean, I won't take credit for that. That was you for sure. Uh, by the way, making everyone excited to watch that show. And, it, yes. and it's great. But like my wife and I got Showtime just to watch that show. But um, mm -hmm. Showtime, Paramount Plus with Showtime. Now it's Paramount Plus. Showtime, showtime. defunct. <laughs> um, in case you missed it. Yeah. Um, but, but it was yeah. such a, it was such a fun, like, and and dark and weird and twisted show and we did so much coverage of that in terms mm -hmm. of like theories and everything like that and i hate it i mean this is maybe just a problem with uh us who have to kind of generate that kind of material but it's just so irritating and, and like ahsoka did this too where it's like we spent so much time on lore and like guessing what's going to happen and none of it matters and that's again, that's a fault of what we do for a living. But it's also like, well, then what's what are you doing? Like, then what are we doing? <laughs> what is anything? I mean, with about? Yellow Jackets. That was. I think every year we always have a show that. I mean, because of course all of us have differing opinions and different fandoms and things that we're into and like taste and proclivities for things, right? But I feel like Yellow Jackets was a show last year that everybody that watched it on staff like enjoyed it. 
Like that was the yeah. one, if there was one show that we could agree on that everybody was like, I'm into this. Like yeah. it was Yellow Jackets. And so yeah. this year for it to just, it felt like every episode was like, they were just like throwing spaghetti at a wall, trying to see <laughs> yeah. if things would stick. And I'm like, nothing really panned out the way it was it supposed to. It felt like they were throwing the most... dry spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. Uncooked spaghetti at so the wall. There were so many interesting yeah. like, threads that they just never decided to, you know, pull on and complete. A lot of the stuff that happened with Ty and the man with no eyes, like he just, he was cool. He was, yeah, he was fly with his suit on and stuff. And like, he chilled for a couple of episodes and then we just never understood that again. Yeah. She was just abandoning her job as a yeah, state Senator, just went off into the, into the woods with her friends. It was just a mess. There's something to be said for like a slow burn for like, you have to watch the whole show to really understand this, but it's like, but also something needs to happen in the like immediacy of now Mm -hmm. while we're watching. So it's like, I felt like that's what season two really lacked. Maybe in the like schema of the Yellow Jackets universe, we'll look back and be like, okay, like it set up all of this, but as its own season of TV that we had to watch. It really right. didn't take us anywhere that interesting. So as right, but how far as are you going to get? You know, <laughs> right, exactly. if you don't if you don't keep people interested and keep people engaged with their storyline and your content, you're not going to be able to tell that complete story because people are going to exactly. stop caring. Like exactly that's the that's the catch twenty two with so much great and varied TV on you know TV on right now is that people can easily say I don't want to watch this. I'm just going to go watch one of the other ten excellent things that are on television right yeah. now. So. You can't afford to have a bad or a lackluster season where nothing's happening and nothing makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, you know, we might get to some of this uh, later on. We might have some disagreements about our our various choices. But, um, yeah, let's let's go around around the horn and talk about our favorite shows. Let's start with Ty. What was one of your your faves of the year? Uh, Well, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but definitely Gen V. Like, um, every single one of the characters that they presented on that show, um, the way that their powers were tied to their life stories and the way that they manifested themselves with them, uh, a lot of the issues that they had to grapple with. Um, You have a show that's woman-led, specifically Black woman-led. And so it was really interesting to see her go through that journey of not only trying to discover herself as a hero, but also understanding where she fits as a superpowered person within that universe, while also having to deal with other very real things that Black women have to face there. Um, It did a great job of balancing a lot of uh, heart and heartbreak and the raunchiness that you expect for it to be there. (laughs) Um, So there were definitely some over-the-top private part bursting moments and stuff that, you know, Du Bois fans would definitely expect. But then you know, I think a lot of the deeper uh, conversations that characters have between each other about about growth and about expansion and about what it means to what it means to be a hero and what it means to show up for yourself and to advocate for others were really important conversations to have. Um, so I think it just I think that show just did so many things that the boys does well. It really capitalized on that. You could tell it was connected in the universe, but it still felt like something that was wholly unique, that a person who isn't familiar with the boys could still get into the series and have a great understanding of it. And to me, like that's that's what constitutes a good, you know, a great spinoff for me. So I mean, I enjoyed that. Um, of course I enjoyed the the Walking Dead shows, um, specifically Daryl Dixon. Like that was so, so, so much fun. I, so much fun to go on that journey and and watch what was going on with him. Yeah, we um go- go back into our archives and listen to Ty and I talk about Dead City. I still haven't watched Daryl Dixon, but from what you told me, you liked that more than Dead City. And I thought Dead City was pretty yeah. good. Uh, 
but you like Daryl about a, a, a fair bit more. What was it about Daryl you liked more than Dead City? I feel like we got a chance to get to know him in a way that the show never really afforded us mm-hmm. to. Um, he's always kind of been a main part of like the ensemble trio, right? Because you start off with Rick and Michonne, and then he kind of took on that Rick role once Rick. Um, you said Rick roll. Rick roll. <laughs> I figured at least me or me or someone Play else would the catch track. <laughs> but he, you know, he occupied that space after Rick left. Um, but I still feel like he kind of fell into this kind of like this hole of like a stereotype or like an archetype and stuff of like the rugged, quiet, kind of grungy, you know, guy. But um, for the first time, we got a chance to know things about his past and understand who he was as a person and some of the things that happened to him in his life that shaped who he was. And so it was just amazing to me because it's like, we feel like we've been following this person who wasn't even a comic book character, which is wild to <laughs> right. me. He has his own television show. Like you literally were created to be a short-term character and now you're like, uh, like a face of this, you know, this universe, but getting a chance to understand and uncover all those things about him. Oh my God, the cinematography and the, being in Paris was just gorgeous. And they did such a great job of like freezing Paris in that time frame of 2010 and, you know, introducing new types of walkers and some of the storyline that they built there. Um, having this one person who believes in self a whole lot and is not necessarily someone that believes in God or a higher power, or whatever word you want to use for that, and having him kind of being juxtaposed alongside religious figures, <laughs> like a killer, uh, killer nun. We love Sister Isabel, but yeah, I mean, so just all of those little things like working together. I was like, this, this is a really dope way to go about it, and it gave um, a lot of fans who had walked away from the show seasons ago. I think a lot of people have a renewed and refreshed interest in the universe, and it really set things up for them to truly be able to breathe life into something that people thought, you know, had kind of just like withered and died. So I was really excited to see those, and I was really like relieved that they were good mm. and that it's something that I feel like is worth continuing. Well, yeah. Cause I feel like you, I mean, we talked about it in our uh, dead city episode, but that you were just like, all right, here's more walking dead. Like, <laughs> you know, you were like, when will this end kind of thing yeah, show that you, you legitimately like enjoyed, but you were just like end yeah. already. And now you're like back, you're back in, they pulled you back in. They got me back in. They got the Rashawn show coming next year. I'm right. like, why y'all, y'all, y'all creepy. Y'all doing things. I like get out of my head. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> and I think it's kind of interesting because in a way it's almost like the Disney plus Marvel idea of like mm-hmm. taking this character mm-hmm. we'll dive into them but it really feels like that those shows have kind of missed like doing that successfully but these shows have really landed that like we'll dive into this character kind of character study but still an interesting plot mm-hmm. yeah absolutely Balance. um what about you Ro what's what's a <laughs> show to talk about yes um for me i talked about it a little in the atla episode we did but one piece really crushed it um i knew like nothing about the anime except that it existed (laughs) in full honesty i have and do apologies to one piece fans out there find the artwork to be really difficult for my personal aesthetic taste um, so I never watched the anime and then the show came up and I was like, I don't even know what this is. Like, it's just there. But something about the previews, like, I don't know. I felt that thing, that fandom pull, whatever it is, it like called to me. And I was like, I think I'm really going to like this show. 
And then I indeed really liked the show. I thought it did a really great job bringing the sort of anime surreality, but adapting it to the live action in a way that didn't lose kind of the the anime-esqueness of it, but gave it something more real sort of mm-hmm. to like for us to hang on to. I have since watched some of the anime, not all of the anime, obviously. Certainly. But <laughs> for me, I, this is this is just my personal take on because people love the anime and the anime has, you know, a long legacy. We couldn't have had the live action without it, but you know those infomercials for like a magic hair straightener where they show you this like intense like chaotic snarl of hair then they run the wand through it and suddenly it's like oh it's so beautiful it's silky it's smooth that's kind of what I feel like that adaptation did to the anime (laughs) I just like for me the, the anime is very chaotic it's like there's jarring noises a lot of things are happening like there's sounds I don't know but it's like the the live action is so like smooth and the characters are so full fully flashed really endearing and there's a lot of heart in it that like I really that really called to me so for me it was like a perfect adaptation and series and I actually want to watch the anime that's based on the live action um which I feel is very different from the anime the live action is based on um so kudos on that one Netflix uh, Netflix actually before the series came out they were like come to brunch with the main characters of One Piece and I was like what's One Piece past so Netflix if you're listening I'm ready <laughs> ready for brunch <laughs> with the cast season 2 please reach season out again two, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. I feel like and we I, I believe we it. talked about this in the Atla episode <laughs> too but like adapting animation to live action is really a, a challenge and to get it to get the tone correct um because you know infamously cowboy bebop was a failure because it it alienated people who were huge fans of the anime but also alienated people who weren't fans mm-hmm. of the anime because it was like what who are these people like it was just kind of and i didn't i didn't dislike it but i do understand that it's like a lesser thing um that was kind of the, it just didn't get the tone right. There's so much about, you know, like kind of somber noirness to that cartoon cartoon. That sounds really reductive, but the anime um, that they just didn't get in the live action show. So I, you know uh, I was sad to see that get canceled kind of just, just because of aesthetic choices essentially. But I was also happy to see that um, of what I've seen of one piece, which I haven't watched any of it um uh they kept the anime nature of all the characters but like obviously you know they have to look like humans and not just drawings and stuff like that so that's fun um yeah and i feel like i was saying to my friend that like the real trial and tribulation of like a good adaptation versus a loyal adaptation can be Mm. very different things. Just like a disloyal adaptation can also go wrong. It's like walking that fine line between like, what do we keep? And also what can we not keep to make Mm -hmm. these many episodes make sense in 
eight of them, basically. So I think it it did that really well. It was like, here's what we will take out from the show, distill from its core, and then here's how we'll evolve it. So it's not a carbon copy of the anime, but it's something that's functional in its own right. And I think that's what ultimately makes this, for me, watchable. Of course, if you're like a 25-year fan of the anime, I'm not sure exactly what you you make of it. But it seems to have landed really well, just like anecdotally. I feel like the Monkey D. Luffy live-action character has kind of like become embraced almost wholeheartedly like in fan art and things like that. Like now kind of he looks like Inaki Godoy who plays the monkey D. Luffy in the live action. And like the Zoro character, it's kind of like a hybrid. It's like he looks kind of like the anime and kind of like the live action. And like other characters, it's like people are really clinging to the anime version. So it's like, it's very interesting to see, but it does feel like there's like an embracing of it in in sort of the One Piece community at large. So yeah, yeah. that and universal it, you know, embracing is so important too. Like because, like you said to your point, Ro, it's so hard to be able to toe that line between we want to honor the source material, we want to pull just enough from the source material so that way we're not losing those people. But then we also like the whole idea, of course, is to always, as any company wants to do, you want to usher in new fans. So yeah. you're trying to toe that line in between then. So just the fact that people are embracing, you know, large elements of it at all. Like, I mean, to me, that yeah. that's definitely ringing that Netflix did a did a good job. Like they did what so many people have been saying for years is impossible, which is bringing, you know, bringing a beloved anime to live action and having people actually, you know, enjoy it. And now we're going further with like season two, which I think is awesome. I enjoyed it. But I also am like Ro, where I, you know, have familiarity with One Piece. Like I've seen clips and things out there. I've seen a couple of like chaotically random episodes and everything. <laughs> but I am not like a, I'm not a loyal devotee to mm. the to the anime. So there are people out there that may have that experience and they may feel different. But I think for someone who just has vague familiarity with it, like I also enjoyed it. Um, several years back, I agreed to go review one of the theatrically released one piece anime films. I think it was the one called gold, which is where they go to like a casino world or something like that. Uh, Island. Um, and I was just like, that is, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. Um, <laughs> but it was also like just kind of dazzling and wild and zany and stuff like that. And I feel like I, I completely understand what you mean about like, the style you you really have to be okay with that style of of art yeah. and and kind of you know because it is they're very um it's almost rubber hose style animation a lot of times which is like the old 1930s where like nobody has bones where they just kind of like yeah um, <laughs> yeah it's really interesting because it feels the what the live action feels to me somehow at once like the characters are younger and also older than the characters in the mm. anime and i i don't know exactly why i feel that way but it, but i feel like it hit like just at the right kind of place i'm between them but yeah it's interesting because i watch some anime but the anime i usually go for is kind of like the sports anime kind yeah. of the women gaze like their hairs is shining their eyes are full of vivor whatever like everything is like really beautiful in a very specific like definition for beautiful and I don't think 
One Piece, the anime, aims for that at all, which is which right. is totally fine. You know, it is the kind of anime that it is. But then I feel like almost the live action was like, but what if it was that kind of anime? Right. And then like <laughs> what like in that direction? And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. What if? Because <laughs> the other the other way to do that would have j- just been to like everybody have really exaggerated like prosthetic makeup and stuff like that, and it's just yeah. like that that gets in the way right. a lot of the time unless it's like a specific kind of character or fantasy world you're going for, which you know again I, I'm talking as though I know anything about this TV show. I need to watch it, but um, uh, my first one that I want to talk about is another one we were talking about those uh with with The Walking Dead where people are sort of looking at the um, Disney plus style of like, well, let's do multiple different shows um, all in the same universe, but have it be distinct so we can have multiple shows going on at once, essentially. Um, And my number one with a bullet is um, uh, Star Trek, strange new worlds. Um, I would, I had all but written off Star Trek. I was done. I was like, "Eh, I don't care. I thought the the movies were, you know, the more recent movies. I thought Into Darkness is one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen. I thought Beyond was fine, but it's like, whatever. And then when they were like, we're going to make a ton more Star Trek on Paramount Plus. I think at the time it was called CBS All Access, wasn't it? Um, it was the old, <laughs> in the olden days of that app. But um, uh, Discovery just didn't do it for me. And I was just like, ah, it's so dark and like, you know, uh, violent and i'm just like ah, I'm, I'm just kind of over that kind of science fiction storytelling and then when i heard that they were bringing the uh you know members of the pre-kirk cast to discovery i was like oh that's kind of fun and then that they were getting their own spinoff i was like all right you know like is this going to be the same type of thing and uh amy was like uh no a- amy radcliffe of course editor-in-chief uh of nerdist uh, was like, it's so good. You got to watch it. And I was just like, really? And so I finally watched it earlier this year and was just like, oh man, it's so good. And it's so happy and upbeat and like still with a lot of drama and, and, you know, stakes and things like that. And, uh, but it's, it felt to me a lot, like it's the best synthesis of what new version of Star Trek is with like literal classic TOS Star Trek. And that's what I grew Mm -hmm. up with was like, not like I watched some TNG, but watching TOS with my dad, like that was, that was a big part of it. So it, it really felt like these are adventures that these people are going on. However, there's also continuity between episodes because that's the way TV works nowadays. And boy, do I just, I thought season two really continued uh, in a lot of, and like just really deep in this, the storytelling. Um, we did a whole episode, Amy and I, about the, the first time travel episode of the season where, one of the characters and uh, James T. Kirk go back in time and it's, uh, or no, she goes back in time to an alternate dimension. (laughs) That's basically what happens. Um, An alternate reality, but it's, um, it's such a great show. There was a musical episode followed immediately by like the grimmest war episode of all time. (laughs) Like it's, it's varied choices. And I know some, it's kind of silly for some people, but like, this is a universe that also has a cartoon in it that then crossed over. So like, like whatever um i also you know want to mention uh picard season three uh which also came out this year which uh i liked quite a bit i didn't i hated picard season one i thought it was real stupid and i didn't even watch season two um and so i was really like come on is this gonna be good and then eric was eric diaz was like 
you know, it's going to have the whole TNG cast. I bet it'll be good. And it was good. Um, so I, I'm much, I'm like, I said this to somebody, I forget who I said it to. It doesn't matter. But that I, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I would be in general, more excited about Star Trek than Star Wars, I would have been like, you're a crazy person. You're, you're a fool. Um, and yet here we are where I'm like, can't wait for the next Star Trek season. And I'm just like, what's next for Star Wars? <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> I, love it. I love that it's subverting your expectations. Like, so when you went into Picard season three, did you feel, did you catch up on anything with season two at all? Did you feel like you had missed something there? Or was it just kind of a season of like empty random adventures that really had no connection into season three at all? Well, the interesting thing is most of the characters that I didn't like from season one were also in season two, but weren't in season three at all. So like I asked okay. Eric a little bit like, well, what happened, you know, and he kind of gave me a, you know, a little bit of a rundown of the more important things, but ultimately it didn't really matter. The only character who stuck around was Michelle Hurd's character, um, Rafi, who became like a really integral in integral character to season three and had a lot of great stuff with Worf to do. Um, and it, you know, um, it didn't just immediately go and TNG is back kind of thing. It, it literally built like this person showed up and then this person showed up and then this person showed up. And, um, and I know there was like a whole Q episode in season two, not Q and on, of course, but, uh, Q the character. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't feel like I missed anything from not having seen that. Um, I also have no interest in going back and catching up with what I missed. So <laughs> I, I if got, I did. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I got the season three box set so that I can watch season three. And I'm like, that's it. That's all I need. <laughs> that's all I need ever. Well, I feel that's kind of Star Trekky in and of itself. Like you could just dive in and that's mm -hmm. where you are in the episodes. Yeah, it's <laughs> so sure. many starting points there. It's very like Star Trek and Doctor Who are so similar in yeah. that in that piece exactly. where you can, if you have a new fan that's getting ready to hop into this adventure, it's like you can give them, I don't know, probably 10 different starting points where they'll be able to hop in. And then it's like, whatever you don't know, just ask a fan and figure it out from there. Yeah. And eventually all the all the things will connect and some some dots don't connect because time. Yeah. Makes no yeah. sense. It doesn't. It makes zero sense at all. But I do feel like, you know, uh, Ty, you and I will um, have a, a whole Doctor Who discussion after the new year, um, which mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to. But um, I think it's very clear and like very telling that Russell T. Davis, when he took back over uh, Doctor Who, was used the Star Trek model as like, this is what I want to do with Doctor Who. I want it to yeah. be multiple shows going on all the time. Um, and you can see that like, even just in the first, in the three new episodes that have already aired as we record this, it's, he's setting up stuff that can be used in the future on different shows, characters that you're like, I could see them sticking around in different forms at, uh, in forms. Yes. And it's, it's, it's really great. I really am excited for the, um, we're not going to get into the specials too much until we watch all four of them, but. Needless to say, I'm also very excited about Doctor Who. <laughs> so Doctor Who and Star Trek <laughs> yeah. are the two things. My sci-fi heart is just happy right now for that kind of thing. Because it's they're positive, upbeat shows. I'm just like, I can't do dour and boring and lore-filled. Like, just get out of here. Like, I just don't have the I don't have the energy for that, which is, you know, again, saying something because I'm a comic book guy also. So like that's nothing but lore most of the time. But um, I don't know. 
but that's that's another indi- example of where you can just jump in whenever and you'll be like i'll figure it out mm-hmm. like i didn't i didn't need to read 40 years of x-men when i first started reading x-men like i just got it you just kind of figure <laughs> out what's going on so um yeah this is all to say I, I really kind of ha- <laughs> pulled my punches when I was talking to Amy about Ahsoka, but I really thought that show was not good. Um, she really <laughs> liked it. And so I didn't want to punch her in the face, but anyway. All right. Next, next show you want to talk about Ty. Hmm. We have a whole list that you can pull from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so many things that, you know, that I really enjoy this year. Like, like but coming back to what Lo said, uh, what Ro said about Loki, like right, <laughs> Roki. I guess maybe I was coming up with a new name, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so for I me, like, I, yeah, Loki. Uh, I mean, Loki's definitely a character I enjoyed. Um, I like season two, you know, season one well enough. Mm-hmm. That was fine, but season two, like, really made some choices that surprised me and really locked me in each week or whatever. And I was like, wow, like I am. I'm not just because a lot of times we do end up watching things because you're watching it kind of for. I need to know this. This is a part of like a bigger universe. We cover these things. We have readers who care, you know, and are deeply invested in these stories. So we need to make sure we're abreast of what's going on. And so you do a lot of that a lot. And that's, that's all fine and well with me. I mean, as long as it's something I don't completely hate, you know, I I don't mind watching just about anything, but actually being excited and interested and um, wanting to see how things were unfolding. And I enjoyed a lot of our coverage because there were so many um, spots that I didn't know from like a comic perspective. And uh, Eric came in as he always does, Eric Diaz, a staff writer here who has a Rolodex of comics knowledge about everything. Like he was able to fill in a lot of those missing pieces of things that I didn't quite understand. And I just, I enjoyed Loki. Like when I'm talking about like my top three, top five, like Loki is up there with me. And if you had asked me that at the beginning of the year, I would have been like, (laughs) no. Probably not. Yeah, for me, I feel like I really loved the MCU and then Avengers Endgame happened, happened to me <laughs> and I could never love again. Um, that's, that is just my personal takeaway on Avengers Endgame. I know many people really loved it and found it a very fitting sort of conclusion to the chapter of the MCU, but I found it to be kind of a ruinous conclusion to the chapter of the MCU which is it's which is a which is a whole other podcast soapbox of its own which which I have podcasted and soapboxed many times before maybe that'll be something for laser focus in the new year is is everybody gets to come on and have a gripe episode where they just get to talk about something that annoys them however um, <laughs> since since then I've kind of been watching the MCU in like a cursory way, way, kind of, as Ty was sort of touching on. Like, I'm watching it. It exists. It's important in pop culture. It's it's something I've been watching for a long time, but I have not really felt an emotional investment to anything that I've watched since Avengers Endgame. Um, but Loki, really, I felt like I felt connected to it. I felt for the first time that the show is invested in the story of the character it was telling, not just in the story of what the show can provide for the MCU or like what Easter eggs it can bring to the table or what time travel shenanigans it can introduce to the world. But like, what is Loki doing? What does he want? Who is important to him? Like, I felt it was a really deep character dive in a really satisfying way. And 
that so I connected to it and I was like okay you're telling me a story that's meaningful so I can in turn give you my interest or my love or whatever it is and I, I actually I cried at the last episode and then I wrote a fix so you know there's really no <laughs> there's really no bigger praise I can give to a series than that I'm and that was the last thing I had on my bingo card for this year. So kudos to Loki for like putting what's important, which is to me, like the character development, the character relationships, like the story the show is telling and not just like having an outline there so a universe can move forward. Mm. So yeah, thanks, I, Loki. Thanks, Loki. <laughs> thanks, um, Loki. I, I I kind of, you know, uh, have dealt with my MCU, I won't say issues there for a while, but there was a period of time when, you know, um, when I was very sniffy about it, I was just like, I, my, my analogy at the time was like, um, uh, the MCU is Chipotle because there's only so many ingredients and there's only, only so many different ways to mix it. And it's usually pretty good and usually satisfying yeah. enough, but it's never going to be as good as like you know, like gourmet or not gourmet, but you know, like, um, a family Mexican eatery. And it's also not as crappy as like fast food Mexican where (laughs) it's like, uh, you might feel bad later, but it also might be like more tasty and more craving at the time. And that was, those was at a period of time when the Fox X-Men movies were a mess, but like the ones that worked worked more for me than a lot of the MCU movies did. So that was, and then I was very much like, don't buy Fox. Like I was just kind of like, I don't want to see the Hulk and Wolverine fight. Like, I don't care about that. Cause I still don't care about that stuff. But, um, uh, in retro, and I was somebody who really liked, uh, end I, I thought I only saw, uh, infinity war once because, uh, I was at, that was a period of time when, Everyone was like, oh, my God, they killed all those characters. I'm like, they're all coming back, you dumb fools. You've been duped by this franchise. Um, uh, but I I was, a, I, you know, I freely admit I cheered at the press screening, the press screening of Endgame. Um, I couldn't help myself. It escaped my body, like, and the, specifically yeah. the moment when uh, uh, when Cap summons the hammer. I was like, oh. like, I. I shouted and people laughed at me, but it's fine. I anyway. kind of feel like he had been messing with with the hammer for a while. Yeah, though. yeah. It was more just like right. this is what yeah, we all. When expected. you think way back and he like was trying to lift it up off of the table and it budged a little bit, I was yeah. like, you know what? I think Cat was playing with people. I think he, I think he was able to lift it then, but he just yeah. didn't want to say anything. Yeah, he knew. And so he, he could. was probably swinging that thing around at night while while Thor was asleep or something. <laughs> he'd, been, he'd been practicing for that moment for a while. He caught yeah. it a little bit too smooth. I'm like, you, you've right. been practicing that for a while. You wouldn't yeah. want your first time try right. to be like in front of all like, those heroes what if it comes yeah. flying at you and you miss it like yeah um but i think in retrospect ro i think you are right it is a bit ruinous because like there really hasn't been the spider-man movies have i think the two that came after endgame i think have been good like mm-hmm. uh varying degrees of you know uh is this your cup of tea or not but mm-hmm. good uh, and I think there's been a couple movies that I've enjoyed, a couple TV shows, and but like Loki was the first, you know, of the TV shows that went from beginning to end. I really liked because w- WandaVision had a great first few episodes, and then it kind <laughs> of started to drift off, and I was just like, well, "What's going on?" Um, and then I th- and you know, 
we've talked many times about how much I dislike Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think it's a terrible show. Um, and then, uh, you know, some do. of the other ones were fine. I thought Ms. Marvel was fine. I thought She-Hulk was fun, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I did not think we'd ever have a show that I liked again as much as Loki until Loki season two. <laughs> so it's sort of like, and I think, I hope that's what they've kind of taken away from these couple yeah. of years is that, Let's tell good character stories, which is what pe- got mm-hmm. people excited about the franchise in the first place. We're like, it's the characters that people like first, and it's the action, big spectacle stuff afterwards. Um, yeah. And if you don't do things, you know, if you're not spending the time to actually like make the characters' arcs make sense, then you're not doing it right. And I know that it's a machine, but like, do fewer things so you have more time for care and on each of the things. I think that's what they've learned. I, th- I think it seems like yeah. that's what they've learned. Yeah go back to you know one or two shows and one or two movies a year and that's all you need really get people excited again about this stuff um and now that we're only gonna have um uh, i wish the marvels did better but um that's neither here nor there but you know we have one marvel movie next year which is deadpool 3 and then got a few shows and i'm looking forward to those shows because it's like i don't know anything about echo we'll have extensive coverage on that but i don't know anything about that character other than what was in hawkeye and then oh, i forgot about hawkeye hawkeye is a really good show that's it um mm-hmm. yes <laughs> anyway yeah and i also think that loki really feels like they were trying to write a tv show and not just trying to write a movie and put it in tv format which i think was really critical to like the success of the operation because i feel like many of their other shows they were just like it will be fine if we put exactly the same amount of story as we put into the movie as we do into the show but once you have a show you have to sustain it so the amount of story you need is is you know multiplied by several times and they weren't i didn't feel like they really were like getting that but I felt like Loki did deliver that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it and it felt like, and we talked about this. We uh, we wrote about this. I think a lot. Somebody wrote about it um, about how it's not. It wasn't trying. It was trying to tell Loki's story with the characters from Loki. It wasn't trying to. It wasn't trying to be like the puzzle piece for the MCU kind of thing. And exactly. even though there was <laughs> Victor Timely was in it, it didn't feel like we're setting up more Kang stuff. It just felt like this character is in this thing. Exactly. And it was much more about the he who remains version than it was actually like Kang the Conqueror kind of thing, which I think, you know, I I was into that. That was, that was a surprise. Um, And so, yeah, good, good call there. Um, Ro, what is your next piece of resistance? (laughs) No one says that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't want to speak for, for the collective, but I feel like if we were all going to choose like a show that if we all had had to have voted to be like what is the best show i think this year our yellow jackets was really like the fall of the house of usher because no matter who you are what you're into what your other favorite show of the year was which i think for all of us would be something radically different but we were all like this this was one of the best things that happened on TV this year. And it's just really one of those things that's just like universally good. Um, and will probably be a best thing on TV for our, a long time, much like other mm-hmm. things Mike Flanagan has created. Lovely. Has he, I mean, Midnight, uh, the Midnight Club was sort of, yeah, maybe not everybody's or- cup of tea, <laughs> but yeah. I think other than that, like certainly on television, he has not had a misstep at all. Some of his movies are, 
you know, but that's not entirely his fault uh, a lot of those times. But, you know, he made a actually made, made a really good sequel to Ouija, <laughs> the Ouija board <laughs> horror movie. He did. So, um, but yeah, anyway, okay, I'm putting it said, on my list. It's good. No, no, it's, 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 we're it's all gone. welcome. As yeah. I said, I feel like yeah. this is this is one we were all like, yeah. we're all in on this. And I think there's something really interesting because it like feels so universal. Like I feel like almost anybody could like watch the fall of the house of usher and be like wow that was really really good and i feel like although his work does tend to have this horror bend and some people aren't always like pro horror he like always mixes in like some other you know in the haunting of hill house it's often like sadness yeah grief is your mm-hmm. other like kind of main character but here it was really like <laughs> i don't know this kind of like succession like gothic you know, rehash, Edgar Allan Poe, mix, remix, alternate universe, modern day kind of situation. So I think that like there was this just like appeal in it that even though it was scary or like jump scary at times, it was like just feels so like universal in a way where other things have specific audiences. Yeah. And Mike Flanagan gets the metaphor of whatever horror he's like messing with um, incredibly well. You know, you you mentioned the sadness aspect of The Haunting of Hill House. It was there in um, The Haunting of Blind Manor, too, which that one worked Mm -hmm. less well for me. Uh, It was less cohesive. But um, the idea that ghost stories in their heart are about kind of grief and, you know, they should be kind of somber ghost stories. Um, whereas Fall of the House of Usher, all of Edgar Allan Poe's stuff is like macabre and kind of funny a little bit. Like it's yes. um it and that is absolutely like the tone of that is like there's obviously sadness and there's obviously like character depth and tragedy, but it's all kind of uh it's tragedy wrought by decisions and not just kind of fate. Um or I or I guess like uh chance is what i meant instead of fate i mean is they are sort of fated to fail this way but um you know there's one moment in at the end of the series where even the the character who represents death or like you know time coming for all kind of like goes i don't want to do this but i gotta you know what i mean like and i i thought that was a really cool like twist on that you know the raven uh and in human form um and also just like, you know, once I caught into the idea that they were, he was in fact, every episode was going to further yes. the storyline, but yes. was going to be a specific yes. story. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It had something there for everyone. So you got a little bit of like timeline jumping back and forth. Yeah. There's, you know, all people that are definitely into things that are super, you know, character driven. Like you said, you got these different, you know, these different aspects of focusing on all these different characters. You have... You know, there's a mystery that's at play. You know, you have a bit of like a soap opera like tinge to it too, where <laughs> there's this family and they're wealthy with infighting and stuff. Like that's a very yes. like soap opera type of, you know, type of deal going on. So the fall of the house of Usher had like something that everyone could enjoy. And like Rose said earlier, even with some of the horror elements and stuff in there, like they're just they're interspersed and interlaced in there so well. There's nothing in there jump scaring you for mm-hmm. jump scare's sake or anything. Exactly. Like anything that's kind of horror leading really shows up with intention and with purpose, you know? And so people that aren't necessarily into that specific genre, which we have people on staff who that's not their thing, but they still were able to watch it and, you know, and absolutely enjoy it. Like I thought, I thought every episode was just 
incredible. Everyone was delivering like a masterclass in, in acting and stuff. Like, I mean, it's, there are some shows that you have to intentionally watch. Like you can have, there are some things you can have on in the background and it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm paying attention to this, but I'm not really like watching it with like super intention. Like that is a show that you have to like put your phone away and you have to tune other things out and you need to be like intentionally watching because there's so much rich dialogue. There's so many so much uh, foreshadowing. There are just so many things there that are building on and just create this like beautiful, you know, beautiful layer or these layers kind of unfolding to just like reveal something beautiful. And I, I love a show like that because I mean, it requires intentional watching. And that's something that a lot of people sometimes just aren't, you know, aren't doing, aren't doing anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, because a lot of times you do, you watch TV shows, you're doing things, you're on your phone, you've got other things on. But I mean, that was a show that like literally every single episode I was, glued in and watching and like I went back and since I plan on going back and watching it again because I want to be able to see if I can spot different things in the background like I feel like you get something different every time you go back and watch it so I plan on making my Christmas watch <laughs> my third watch all the way through yes. so that way I can be like oh <laughs> I'm like I want to go back and spot like I mean a lot of the color schematics and things mm. like that and we had a really great uh freelance piece by um um by Lindsay Romaine, where she spoke and like really broke down all the different um, color scheming and how that worked and how it played into each character's, you know, each character's storyline. So I just, I really, really loved it. Yeah, man, what a good yeah. show. And I think oh, like, so it really speaks to it that like, no matter how many times I've watched like the first couple of episodes with different people, because it's like, oh, we should watch this. They're like, yeah, let's watch it. Like, oh, here we go again. Like the like jester jump scare in the car always gets me. I'm still jumping like. <laughs> the fifth watch through or whatever so I think that's yes. incredible and yeah. also like how incredible for them to just like start reciting Poe in the middle of these episodes like I could not get over that just like they're like and now we will recite some poetry and I'm like yes <laughs> oh my gosh but at the same time it's like it's definitely a show like when you're like with people and you're like oh what should we watch and everybody's like oh I don't know I don't know it's like you could put it on so it's like yeah. It's just so good in, mm -hmm. in every direction. I, I also love that even if there was like the particular poem or story was not necessarily like a big part of any character or episode, Poe has enough uh, stories slash poems that are just the names of people that it's like, well, use this name. We can use this name. We can use this. Name. It's just like, <laughs> that's so funny that, yes. you know, he, he basically made every poem a, a story or a, a, a character which is just like, oh, that's so good. And the fact that like, like you said that the poetry, like um, Roderick Usher, Usher just kind of says the poem Annabelle yes. Lee to Annabelle Lee every time that he like throughout the series, he uses a different like line from it. It's just like, that's, uh, it's pretty great. That's and, and like real nerdy, like that's really literarily nerdy in a way so that nerdy. I, I find it. just delightful. And um, the like Loki implication that like he would have, become Edgar Allan Poe if he hadn't become this part. I don't know. I was, I was very into it. I was like, that's, that's Maida. <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional. I probably was. Um, like, by the end, like, Roderick Usher looks kind of Poe-like. Like, obviously, he's, oh my God. he's a, <laughs> he does, you know, he's a businessman in a suit and stuff like that, but he's got the little tiny mustache and his, like, hair is very quaffed in a yes. certain way, and it's just like, you know what? It's true. All the Bruce also, Greenwood like, outlived Poe by like 20 years I think at this point Poe died mm. not not old he was only in his mid 40s I believe when he died but 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Me. Oh, I'm next. Um, <laughs> I was like, what are we talking about? Um, I want to g- give a, you know, a little bit of a shout out to a couple of shows I really liked on Peacock. It, it's sort of a lesser, you know, I always forget it's there for a lot of the time. Um, one was on, is on our list, which is Poker Face, which I thought was, I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. It was one yes. of those like, I'll give it a watch, you know. Um, but just like co- it's cozy mystery stuff. It's whodunit mystery stuff, which I love. Mm-hmm. And it's also like um, there was a period of time on the USA Network where uh, every kind of show on there was people with low grade superpowers where it was like somebody's really good at observing or somebody's, you know, like they always have something. And I just love the fact that for seemingly no reason at all, this character knows when someone's lying just knows instinctively (laughs) not doesn't even have to think about it just knows and that is such a fun thing to do in one of these like and and has like an incredibly high moral standard where it's like they lied to me and i don't like that i think they did something bad and she needs to figure it out and also the fact that it's natasha leone who is just like uh, a disheveled delight. <laughs> yes. Entire, Perfect know. for that kind of role. She's playing like a version of herself. Yeah. <laughs> there for sure. Yeah. And I just, I, I love that. Like, you know, Ryan Johnson's just like, this is my thing now. I'm the whodunit guy. And, um, good. Like <laughs> keep making them. Yeah. Um, because they're, you know, they're really fun. And also you, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of different stretching you can do with that. Um, and then the other, the other show that I watched on there was very strange, um, but I liked it. I ultimately really liked it. It was called Mrs. Davis. Um, if I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody watched that, but it's a weird mini series about a nun who is literally in love with Jesus. Like, like she goes into her mind palace and has an actual relationship with him, um, huh. which is, and oh. then also has to contend with this Mrs. Davis thing which is an ai that has taken over the globe but everybody likes because it's like on their phone it's just like hey mrs davis and stuff like that and it's like it's so strange it is such a weird show that is so strange (laughs) um it's weird and like you're like is mrs davis evil is it not evil like what even is it how did it start like just all all this very strange thing and and all the religious iconography in there and it's it's really weird um and it's, I think, did not need to be more than whatever, six episodes or eight episodes or however many it was. Um, but Betty Gilpin is really good on that show. Um, I had never watched. I did never watch. I never watched Glow, which was the thing that I know her from before, but I never watched that show. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was, yeah, she was excellent. And uh, if anybody hasn't seen Mrs. Davis and wants to just scratch your head i think throughout the bulk of yeah, it they over. really they really buried the like actual relationship with jesus lead and the like trailers and things there was yeah. no mention of this which i, I think no is idea like... that that was that that was, that's what it was about like you have enlightened me today because i did not know what yeah. the premise of that show was at all and the trailers did not help like yeah and it, wow. i mean they did kind of hide it i mean the character is in every episode but i think Mm -hmm. like we don't necessarily find out that it's that it is in fact jesus and that that it's kind of in her brain for a while so spoilers i apologize but um like that is literally she devoted herself to him in the way that nuns do metaphorically (laughs) but like she literally married jesus it's so strange um this is amazing 
and like her. Ex- I feel compelled to watch this now. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre. And what's has, even happening? It has a bunch of like I won't say roided up, but like the the her ex boyfriend, like before she joined the church, um, uh, wants to destroy Mrs. Davis, and so he got together with all of these dudes who just like hang out in a in a well-funded bunker and like work out all day so they're all just jacked and like oh yeah let's go kill this ai creep you know it's so strange but it's it's really fun and and very endearing and touching and um it's kind of just about uh you know not just faith necessarily but like like faith in each other as a species like i really enjoyed it um so if you have peacock or would like to use a uh a free trial i would uh, recommend those shows all right ty what what else you got let's do one more each, wow. and then we can just kick off well you got my it's funny that one of your kind of like unorthodox or like off the normal nerdist beaten path one is one of mine too, which was Poker Face. So Poker I'm face glad you brought that one up because Poker Face is so much fun. It's great or whatever. Um, had I wanted to to have things flow smoothly earlier after we were talking about One Piece and adaptations and things like that, I would have brought up The Last of Us because um, I feel like that's uh, yeah, another show sure. that generally speaking we seem to like on staff across the board. And I think uh, game adaptations are just having a really, really great run right now. And The Last of Us was one of the first shows that came out in 2023. And it just really kicked things off in high gear in such a great way. Like, I mean, that show destroyed me emotionally. Like, So I'll start over and say that I know I knew nothing about the game. I was not mm-hmm. familiar with it. Anything that I learned about it was literally <laughs> what Nerdist wrote about it. And I, I edited those things and read those things. So that was the knowledge base that I came in with. But wow, like such a like strong emotional journey, such a great character journey. I am, a, if you can't tell, a person that loves a good apocalypse story. <laughs> and I like the, the different emotions, the thematic uh, underpinnings that kind of come with living and existing in that kind of world. And I did not think that, you know, I wasn't sure how much I was going to enjoy this or, you know, how I would feel about the, you know, the the characters in there and everything. But it just all came together like so, so beautifully. Oh, my gosh. The the one episode with what was it, Bill and Frank? Right. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. probably the most like emotional, heartbreaking episode of television, period, this this year. Like it just that thing absolutely wrecked me. Last of Us is so good. So great. Yeah, I, I I thought The Last of Us was excellent as well, and um, what I love about the good game, podcast too. Yeah, the podcast is really good. Like I, yeah, I, when they actually the take the time to do a um an interview podcast of kind of breaking stuff down, it's kind of takes the place of commentaries back in the old day when they would have DVD mm-hmm. releases with commentaries on them. You get that kind of information, um, but mm-hmm. I I thought the game I loved the game, but what I loved the most about the game was the characters and the story. The actual gameplay is fine, but it, it feels like it breaks the the laws of the game or the, of the story a little bit where it's just like, let's take the time to shoot a bunch of zombies or especially let's just have big, huge open area things where raiders come in and Joel has to just absolutely annihilate guys. And it and the, sh- the show has some of that, but like waits to the end to really bring that in. Like it's not because it's a game you have to kill people because otherwise there's no game. <laughs> so like um I just yeah, I thought it was um 
a really well done adaptation. It kept what worked about the sh- the game, um, and uh, and really changed the you know the Frank character is so different in the game. He's just a guy they meet along the way, and he's in a bit, and that's it. But uh, you know, a well deserved um, Emmy nomination for Nick Offerman. Um, yes. So hopefully, yeah. I mean, there's, it's a heavy competition in the guest category this year for <laughs> TV drama, but um, yeah, uh, excellent, excellent choice. You liked it as well, didn't you, Ro? I did like it. I thought that finale was lesser than the rest of the season before it. So, yeah. but I, but I'm, ex- but maybe it was just a time thing or an episode thing or who knows what kind of thing it was, but I think it really was kind of at its strongest, like you were saying how, where it wasn't like so intense about like this, the structure, the story of the game, but like building out its own universe. It actually sort of had like almost, vignette episodes at Mm. the beginning which I thought was really interesting and like almost seemed to like be like wouldn't this have been like a great format for this like a fascinating format for this kind of apocalyptic zombie show where you're just like entering into people's lives and like this is their experience of it and there were like the two kids and whatever whatever um so I I thought those episodes were all really well done and just kind of I I'm left with like those sort of visuals they gave of like the roadways and the sort of barren winter country they were in and all of that. So I think it also had an interesting, like appealing aesthetic as well. And Mm. it was definitely like a a more emotional apocalyptic zombie show than I think we've seen, which I, I did appreciate. Um, What else did you appreciate Ro? Was, is that a good? Uh, yes, amazing. I'm actually still in the process of watching it, but I really enjoyed what I've seen so far of Castlevania Nocturne. Um, mm. Speaking of a beautiful animation, I'm, I've, I really feel like that one, that one like really drew me in. I also, I haven't watched Castlevania or any of the rest of it, but I just saw some stills of it and it looked really beautiful and the story seemed quite compelling and there's that one vampire character who's queer that I love. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, I could watch this. I'm so I've started that off and I've been really enjoying it. And so I think everybody should give it a whirl. I do oh, want to watch that. To hear that. Yeah. 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 Because I like Castlevania quite quite a lot or whatever. I okay, think you definitely yes. like these. Like if you go back and watch the original series, like Alucard will be like, I just feel like he's got Rose Sweetheart like written all okay. over him. So. Okay. <laughs> because the one I love is- He's got great Alucard. hair and he's yes, sensitive. So and oh so. my God. <laughs> yes. The one I love, his name's Allrox. I'm like, I just saw him on Twitter and I was like, <laughs> here we go. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but it also seems to be interested in different like mythologies of different cultures and different, you know, historical events that happen. And I've seen people praise the handling of, you know, all that kind of thing. And there's queerness involved that I haven't reached yet, but seems to also have been well done. So I'm just like, okay, you've you've checked a lot of boxes. It looks really good. It was interesting. You know, it, it captivated me in the first bunch of episodes even though i have not yet finished the series but i look forward to doing that 
as the holidays come. Um, but I think it's I think it's I think it's a goodie. So we'll have to give that a, a watch. Yeah. And uh, my final one I want to talk about is uh, the third and sadly final season of uh, Reservation Dogs, which I just loved. It's such it's such a beautiful show, kind of about you know it, anybody who doesn't know it's a, it's about four um, native kids on a reservation in Oklahoma who want to get out of that place and go to California. And that's kind of like the thrust of the first couple of seasons. And the third season is Mm -hmm. like, they went to California. It's not as good as they thought they come back (laughs) and they just kind of have to deal with that. And there's so much about like different generations of people who live on the reservation. Um, you know, throughout the series, there's like a bunch of, um, they call them uncles and aunts, like older people in the community. Um, and there's a whole episode in the third season, which is them as high schoolers where it's like, Oh, that's fun. You know, like back in the seventies or whatever. Um, and so you get to see like, they were all kind of the same and they all kind of wanted to get out. And it's just like, it's a really like beautiful, um, and weird and funny and strange. And like, you know, um, one of the, the main thrusts of the show is that one of the characters, uh, has a like a spirit guide who's like an ancestor who speaks to him and he just is such a weirdo (laughs) he just says dumb dumb and strange stuff all the time and he just shows up out of nowhere um and and like uh there's a a character the deer woman which is like something from native myth which is that there's a uh, a woman with deer legs who gets revenge on men for their wrongdoings and stuff and she gets like a backstory episode in the third season it's just like oh my gosh this is so good um so yeah i it, it's i i say sadly it ended or it is yeah the third season was the last one not because it got canceled or anything like that but um uh sterling harjo who is the creator of it just was like this is the story you know you can't i don't want to tell the story about these people after they've become adults it's about growing up and it's like okay i completely get that um it's a very robust cast of of really great people and um Oscar nominee Lily Gladstone is in a few episodes too. So, um, from killers of the flower moon. So I would highly recommend it's not a particularly long series overall. I think it's like 10 episodes a season or something like that. Uh, it's on Hulu if anybody hasn't watched it. Um, but highly recommend all three seasons, such a good show, very funny, very weird. Um, and, uh, and Mark Maron's in an episode. So if you like Mark Maron, he's in an episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Overall speaking, that's such a common concept, though, right, of looking, especially small town stories with kids who want to get out. You think that the world is so much bigger out there and then you go out, you discover that things aren't what they seem and you come back home and you kind of gain that reappreciation. Like we've seen that story so many times, Mm -hmm. but having a show like Reservation Dogs tell it from a very, you know, specific and nuanced perspective, like that's something that TV needs more of. It's not necessarily that you have to reinvent the wheel and come up with something completely new, you know, to be able to tell us about sometimes telling those things that really will always hit people at their core and like at its stretch has like a universal appeal, but then also taking it down to a different level to maybe show you that same story from someone else's perspective. Mm -hmm. Like that's always something that, at least for me as a TV viewer that I can always buy into. So I think that's, I think that's real cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to get into reservation dogs. Yeah. Everybody called and each other. And I can other. see the whole story. And you exactly. yes. allowed it to exactly. finish. I love it. Didn't a get story. canceled before it's time. I love a complete yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. And everybody calls each a... other shit ass, which I think is something I've never heard before. <laughs> Apparently, it's quite common. It's just some I'd never heard it growing up. But um, hmm. that's a very they say that a lot. If you if you play the Reservation Dogs <laughs> drinking game, don't pick 
<laughs> Every time they say shit ass, because you will get drunk very fast. Um, yeah. Love so that. overall, like good year for TV. We all found things that we enjoyed to watch both collectively <laughs> for work, but also for just our own enjoyment. And cause we need that. Like that's part of the thing about, I don't know if you all find this word, like the stuff that I generally enjoy most of the time we cover. And so I try to find stuff that, um, you know, is not, uh, something we cover. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm <most laughs> like, what do yeah. I not have to write about? Um, but like a lot of times if a show is really great, you want to write it. Like exactly. I, I didn't write about, you know, poker face or Mrs. Davis for that matter. But like, I'm, I'm sitting there going like, Oh, I could write something about this. And I'm like, no, Kyle, just enjoy yourself and whatever. But that's <laughs> right. what this podcast is for. We actually get to talk about, it, so I don't, I get to <laughs> exercise that demon or whatever. I also want to give a shout out to uh monarch, which is about half over as we record this. Uh, it's really good. If you're a, if you're a Godzilla monster verse fan, it's really good. And I'm not just saying that because legendary pictures is our parent company. Um, <laughs> I, it's a legitimately great show. So I just kind of want to, uh, shout out there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Documentaries fill that hole for me. Really? Like it, there were quite a few documentaries that came out this year that I really enjoyed. Like the um, telemarketers one was really good. And um, I've been getting a lot into like uh, personal stories and stuff. So I really, really liked uh, Anna Nicole Smith and mm. um, she had a documentary come out this year and uh, Pam Anderson did too. Oh, wow. Pam Anderson's was really good. Like okay. I think that might be one of my favorite documentaries this year. Cause I mean, it's, there was so much that I didn't, you know, know about her right. and her life story. And, she kept boxes of journals where she just journaled about her life That's over years and years and years. And so she was able to pull from that box and really recount her story in like incredible detail and stuff. So that's where I go because I'm like, I know I'm not going to write about a Pam Anderson doc exactly. for nerds. He doesn't, exactly. doesn't fit in there, but this is a public figure that I've always had general, general interest in. And I think a lot of people claim to know this person and you're getting a chance to like unveil the covers behind this. So I like that. Anything about a, <laughs> about a cult or about a, about a, um, true, a, true. a figure that is controversial. I'm, I'm down to watch. So true. I love those kind of, um, scandal real life remakes. I watched, um, what was it? Like love and death, something like that. Um, uh, uh, Elizabeth Olsen was in it. It was good. I really liked it. Um, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Love and yeah, Death. Yeah, yeah that's what it was called. Is that yeah. a, a mini series about whatever, more murder, more scandal. So I feel you there, Ty. And I'm also Bravo trash, but I'll spare you that. And instead say <laughs> that I actually also enjoy the reverse experience with something like One Piece where we're like, yeah, we'll write up the trailer and maybe we'll do something for it but then it suddenly it's like oh no I actually really like this I have something to say and now I have somewhere to say it so I feel like I feel like the circle of life is good <laughs> it moves us all is exactly. that true okay <laughs> all right folks well uh I'm, I'm so excited for the next year of tv because I hope to be surprised yet again by things that we maybe you're not expecting to be good and are, or we're not expecting at all and are good. I love all that stuff. Um, uh, how can people get a hold of you on the internet or read your work? Should they want to do that? Ty, if you're also, I, I say this with the caveat, stop being on Twitter, everyone in the world. <laughs> I'll start with Ty. <laughs> uh, plug things you want to plug. Yes. I, I do still haunt the dark halls of, 
of X sometimes. I am there at Tygen. Should you <laughs> happen to be over in the in the dark recesses of the internet, um, I'm also on Instagram at writer Tygen, where I post lots of things on stories and stuff. But those are the two main places to find me. And then, of course, as always, at Nerdist, always writing something and always doing something fun here. Always, Ro. How about yourself? I'm very similar. I still haunt the dreaded halls of Twitter, which hmm. I will not refer to as as x i'm in my life <laughs> but no. i am moondancer 166 there i'm also on instagram at rotem underscore rusak and i'm kind of still awaiting the next advent of social media to really be somewhere else but in the meanwhile nerdist is where my work is yeah <laughs> Um, yes, uh, I, I noped out of Twitter before it became X, so I can, st I'm still legally allowed to call it Twitter without any caveats. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's true, but, um, you can follow me on Instagram if you want to just see pictures of cats for the most part, um, at Kyle, nope, functional underscore nerd there. Follow me on letterbox. That's my big thing these days. <laughs> Kyle underscore Anderson. Uh, I watch a lot of movies and I usually write little reviews of them. Um, and uh, also, I want to. I do actually have something legitimately to plug. Um, there is a uh, a book I contributed to a book called uh, "Outside In Regenerates," um, which is a series of essays from different writers, one writer per uh, story of uh, classic Doctor Who. Um, I wrote a little funny uh, thing for the third Doctor episode, uh, "Colony in Space," um, which is there, but there's literally hundreds of, of different essays in there. Um, uh, different, you know, either funny or just kind of weird takes and things like that. Um, that is available on ATB publishing. It's a small press. Um, Stacy Smith question mark. Uh, if you know her work, she's the editor of that. Uh, anyway, I'm just very proud of it. It's Dr. Who stuff. Um, if you, if you like Dr. Who, if you like classic Dr. Who, I would recommend uh, that publisher and uh, that book. Uh, there's, that's the second book of such essays. The first one is just called outside in. Um, so yeah, anyway, thank you all for listening next week. Uh, Mikey and I will talk about best movies of the year. Um, so until then I'm Kyle Anderson and I'll see you then when my guest is another person. Wait, I did it completely wrong. Anyway, thanks Ty and Ro. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. <laughs> Forgot my own sign off. What is the matter with me? <laughs> Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.